Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Vanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 44 of the Northern Football Podcast. Happy belated Christmas for those of you who celebrate. I'm Peter Galindo with Thomas Neff for our final show of 2021. A monumental year for all things Canadian soccer, Thomas, as well as for this show. Yeah, it's been a fantastic year uh, for Canadian soccer and this podcast itself. Super excited for today, a year-in-review panel with James Sharman and Brandon Dunlop of Footy Prime Podcast and the Zone Soccer Show. Some of the very best uh, out there in Canadian soccer journalism and a uh, very uh, healthy competition as well in the Apple Podcast rating charts. Uh, but of course, as we know, their, their cup of tea is, is more so uh, European and English soccer. Uh, but yeah, super excited for that and lots to look forward to. Uh, in 2022. Absolutely. A reminder that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune. Check them out at northerntribune.ca for all your Canadian soccer news and analysis and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune. Also, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If that platform is Apple, then leave us a rating and review as well and there are also now ratings on spotify so if you use spotify um then be sure to drop us a five-star rating there as well all right as promised we are joined by two of the most recognizable names in canadian journalism let alone canadian soccer journalism i am of course talking about james Sharman and brendan dunlop from footy prime fellas how are you doing great to see you Doing great, thanks. Really good. Too bad I'm, I'm up beside Dunlop once again. I mean, yeah. you know, two or three podcasts a week is enough usually, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll grin and bear it today. Tied together. I'm sure there's a few, you know, player-manager duos that wish that they can get away from each other, buddy, but they're just too good together. Yeah. That's right. You know, you know, we'll bring our crew, our team, wherever we end up, you know, and we're a team, right, B? You know, Diego Godin for years may have hated Diego Simeone, but, you know, they were just too good to be apart. That's a really good comparison, my God. Laurel and Hardy, same thing. <laughs> Different comparison. 100%. Well, before we dive into a little bit of the football, I guess, uh, you guys have been keeping busy. Brendan, you co-authored a book with Dwayne De Rosario, which I actually got as a birthday present a few days ago, ironically enough. So oh, this amazing. is perfect timing. Uh, what was it like working with the, I guess at the moment, co-leading scorer in men's national team history? It was it was pretty awesome, man. It was a dream come true. Um, happy belated birthday! I'm glad Thank that uh, that someone put Dero my life uh, uh, under the tree or wrapped it up for you be- before uh, Christmas came around. But yeah, the, you know the putting the book together was a marathon. It was uh, it was a four and a half year project. Um, and shortly after he retired, I just I just knew that there was so much more to his story that I thought would be great in a book. And and it really it was driven by my own curiosity to kind of hear more of the story and what. Dwayne would be willing to tell, and he was, uh, as he always was, when a camera was in front of his face, considerably more more candid and a little more colorful and open than some some other players, and uh, even more so in the book, you know, and talking about some personal things that he never really got into before, and talking about um, some club situations that uh, a lot of Toronto FC fans are very curious about, how things really went right. down that that first separation with the club. Um, I just loved how how open and candid that he was about uh, a lot of the experiences in his life, and it's not you know just a soccer book. He's uh, He's a full-time dad, and and that transition uh, after retirement was was difficult. And he's open about that, and talks about you know how important his uh, his kids are in his life, and how that's the the next chapter that he's in now, and as well as his academy, and you know helping to grow the game in Canada, and you know looking at where the Canadian national team is right now. You know he he really is a a godfather of of a lot of that in a lot of ways, and both in Major League Soccer and in, in this national team program. So it's kind of great to see where the the program has gone, and uh, to hear the stories. Um, you know, for, for someone who uh, laid the foundation for, for a lot of that. And I'm sure he doesn't uh, mind being uh, the record broken. And his son as well, who's actually a professional now playing in, in Ukraine, um, eligible for the United States as well. Uh, working with him, you know, for what you mentioned, four and a half years, was there a particular story uh, that you enjoyed most and, and him working together? He talks about uh, in, in chapter three, and I, I lead the, the prologue, and there was a, a violent incident involving a gun um, that, uh, that really kind of changed his pathway in life, or I should say, you know, um, was a, a crossroads for him to decide 
what he wanted to do and that that really was kind of a turning point where he he chose uh, prioritizing soccer as, a, as opposed to uh, prioritizing some of the things that his, his friends in, in the street life was calling and pulling him towards and uh, that came out in our first session we were supposed to meet for about 45 minutes and we were talking for 90 minutes he was going to leave to go meet a friend and the friend was late and this session was just great and he was telling me all this stuff about growing up in a in one bedroom apartment with his with his uh, three siblings and his father and his aunt and you know what that was like and then he gets to this story involving a gun to his head and and finishes the story and goes okay uh, i gotta go what you gotta go that this is the, still the first session we did 90 minutes together so i knew you know i knew before that moment this was going to be great but i knew at that moment wow we got a really good book here and i can't wait to crack in so we did about 16 hours together but i think just the reaction with that moment with him dropping that story and then leaving and i'm just sitting there trying to put the pieces together i think i I spent another two hours finishing my coffee before I actually left the, the coffee shop. <laughs> I can almost picture Dero just like kind of dropping and be like, all right, got to gotta head out. Like it's no big deal for him, it, really. It was like, it was almost as if he was just describing a, an uncomfortable training session. <laughs> like, yeah, the coach ran us, you know, uh, we had to do suicide runs and it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you're reunited uh, with Sharman on Footy Prime as well. I mean, he's kind of sucked you back in there. How's that been getting back together with the old gang? Saved me, brother. He saved me. That's what it was. Not sucked me in. Uh, it's been amazing, man. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, I've loved working with Charmin, and uh, he gave me my start in TV. And we got to do some some radio uh, on uncensored radio on Sirius, which at the time, uh, cutting edge and open yeah. and different. There, there wasn't a lot of uncensored radio out there. It was still the very early age of podcast charm. So I'm glad that we've been able to see the industry evolve. And you know, I like to think that uh, in some ways we, we've evolved in how we talk about the game too. Yeah, I think we probably have things fair to say. I mean, it's, it's many years ago, I guess we started out. And uh, yeah, getting back on, on the podcast format, it's so much fun. I, I love, you know, how unscripted podcasts are. And you really can say whatever you like. And, and what it comes down to in our podcast, guys, is just, it's, you know, four or five guys sitting down, you know, shooting this shit. It could be at a pub, could be at a bar, could be in a basement. It doesn't matter where it is. We just love the sport. And we're good mates, and I think that comes across. So it's just a lot of fun, bottom line. And through this last, uh, you know, couple of years, the whole pandemic, it's been great therapy, I think, for all of us to get out, or at the very least, get on a virtual, uh, you know, setup like we are today, and uh, just talking football with friends, and it's really helped all of us. When you guys left Sportsnet, you know, starting this podcast, obviously, when you've been working so many years as, as you know, co-workers. You know, sometimes, you know, we know this in, in, in this industry that, you know, it's, it's a colleague, you know, that maybe you have a professional relationship, but it seems like you guys are pretty close, you know, friends, you know, outside of work. I was very happy to have that outlet, no longer having having soccer as an outlet on, on Sportsnet. And uh, to Sharma's point, you know, we are friends and, and we do uh, really get along and, and enjoy each other's company. So part of the unscriptedness that, that is the greatness of podcasts is we, we never really know where it's going to go. Charmin will tell you he's always got a rundown and sort of a general idea. And buddy, do we ever get to, to four of the five topics? Never. Right. And that's, that's exactly it. And that's, what's the beauty of it. I think is that, you know, you, you have these good, honest plans to hit certain topics, but it becomes so organic that, you know, we go off into all sorts of tangents and having Craig and, and Danny there and their, their anecdotal stuff from their careers it's always a great perspective. And, you know, I, I think you can you can fake chemistry, but it, you can be seen through, you know, people will, will see through that, that, I think. So what I hope is what we present is we generally like each other and we have great banter. I mean, we hammer each other on that podcast, right? You know, it's, it really is like, a you know, like guys just, you know, having a few pints and just, you know, berating each other, which I think comes across as pretty genuine and authentic um, with a bit of knowledge thrown in there as well. And it's, it's a mm -hmm. good combination. A sprinkle of knowledge, depend, depending on who it's coming from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thomas, to translate your question, am I surprised that James still wants to work with me after all these years? It's been, it's been twelve or fourteen. Now. Yes, uh, very blessed and, uh, and and surprised, but yes, it's been a good it's been a good run. I'm also very surprised too. Well, Sharman, the uh, podcast isn't the only uh, endeavor that you find yourself in. Um, if I do say so myself, Sharman's proper pies are fantastic. First thing I do when I get to York Lions Stadium. Mad dash to the pie stand, grab a steam whistle, and then my afternoon is made. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's the highlight of the York United match. Sometimes it is. <laughs> Sometimes it is. The, the Balti pies are, in fact, better than theirs. So, you know, the, the, the chant lines the up. John goes. Thanks, I, I really appreciate it. You know, I'll tell you what, this is the first year we've been actually um, supplying pies to a team. 
and uh, you know, coming from the, the football industry, so to speak, you know, it's been quite a thrill. It's, it's, it's great to see our pies sell so well, you know, at, at a football match. And York's been great to us. And yeah, I think it adds to the uh, the ambience, perhaps, of the occasion. You know, have a pie and a pint. It is a football thing after all. No matter how hot it might be out there, uh, the punters still want to eat and drink. So uh, yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully next year, hopefully next season, there'll be fewer restrictions for for the stadium. And we'll get even more people out there to, to enjoy York and, of course, enjoy the pies. And we actually, speaking of the pies, we have a question from Shan Wagner. What is the best secret to a perfect meat pie? Oh, that's a great question. The secret is just put a lot of meat in it. It's really basic, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I've bought so many pies over the years and I've been so disappointed because there's no meat in it, right? If I'm buying a steak pie, I want steak in that pie. And that's yeah. one thing I think that we really, we really, uh, have done since day one um, with our business is, you know, we pack those pies full of meat because people, you know, they're, they're spending their hard-earned money and they want to enjoy that thing. So, you know what? Um, richness and throw a ton of meat in there and, and you got yourself a good pie. I had one the other day, the spicy jerk pie, which is <laughs> which is new and it's a limited edition, right, Charms? Is it uh, no, no. Um, it's actually going to be extended because it's doing so well. So yeah, I think that's going to be around for the foreseeable future. Well, guys, if you when you were in university, if there was ever like a Caribbean place or a food court spot where you would go and you know for eight bucks and you you just get a mammoth meal and a styrofoam plate, well, it replaced the styrofoam with the pastry of the pie, and that's that's what this was. It it was like that that giant Caribbean queen level plate without the styrofoam. And it is spicy that one. We, oh, we decided it was, it was to uh, you know people said we know we like your pies, we love the chicken bolty, of course, but what's something even spicier? So we challenged our chef. And that thing, uh, I, was, I was there when B was eating that pie. Is our podcast last week, and it took him an hour to eat it because he was just dying. The sweat was rolling down his face. It was, it was pretty spicy. It was it was spice management. Okay, it was it was a, it was a healthy strategic choice. I was dying as well, actually, in fairness. Now I, I want to ask you guys um, because the intro of our show uh, is, of course, uh, Jerry Dobson uh, saying Canada are two thousand Gold Cup champions. Uh, how does that sound? Seems like it's recorded in my mind. Um, but what, what was working with him like uh, until he retired, um, what I think was uh, five, six years ago? You know what? It, it was great because I, I arrived from the score in 2000, was it 12? I think it's around 12. Yeah, 13, and, I think it was the start of 13 there. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I knew Jerry from the industry, but we were competition for each other, right? We were rivals to a certain point. So I didn't know how he'd accept me coming aboard across from from the footy show and the score and now i'm sitting beside him and craig where i'm you know filling in for jerry when he's away and i i've not known jerry very very well i was a bit concerned about how that might go down and you know show one day one th those fears were relieved you know he's a really great guy veteran veteran obviously broadcaster lovely guy and, and welcomed me and i felt very at home straight away And, you know, he's been doing the job for so many years at that point. I learned so much from him, just how to do live TV. Because when you're hosting, you know, a, a new show, a show, it's so different when you host a live sporting event because it isn't scripted, or at least not as scripted. You've got to bounce around, but you must be so organized. You've got a rundown now, th this thick. You know, I'm holding my fingers up to the camera here. Your listeners probably can't see it because they're listening. Uh, but it's thick, right? Three quarters and, of an inch for those of you. Who yeah, there we go. And you have to be so organized, but you can't be a slave to that either. So he taught me some little tricks here and there. And, and Jerry was absolutely brilliant, uh, as was Craig. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time working with Jerry. We know that Peter uh, interned with you guys at uh, the footy show at the score. Oh was God. he a good intern? <laughs> <laughs> You can be as brutally honest as you want. I do not care. I was, I was a teenager. Or was he just so, some I mean, awkward 19-year-old kid just yeah. giving you copies? Well, I'm just stunned to see him still in the industry. Yeah, <laughs> good on you, buddy. <laughs> you know what? We, I, we had so many interns over the years at the footy show that, you know, some went some, you know, different directions afterwards. But you had to know your stuff to be an intern and, and be a good intern on that show. And to still be in the industry, to still, you know, write – You know, um, you know, in the Canadian soccer media world, you you had to be pretty good. So yeah, Pete has done very well for himself, and now he's one of the most respected voices in in the industry in this country. And it's all down to his inter internship. 
That's it. Fair Definitely. enough. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not, it, you know, you might be the Canadian uh, zonal marking Michael Cox there, but it's, it's definitely because of the internship and the <laughs> two hours a week. Listen, I, I kid you not every day after class, usually around one, one is when the footy show would come out. I would just sit there with my phone downloading the, the podcast on iTunes. I'd be taking the bus home. I'd listen to that all the way home. And by the time I got home, it would just be cleared up. It was the first thing I did every single afternoon. So, I mean, you guys did kind of help me out and you motivated me to get into this. So I thank you for that. Well, th- thank you. And also I apologize. Um, <laughs> no, Charmzy listeners, like, these guys are awful. Jesus. Like, all I need, all I need is a microphone and a, and a friend to talk to. If they can this- do it, God, watch out. No, you know what? That show, I mean, I, that's still, you know, that was my pride and joy, you know, you know, the school, it was great. Like anywhere else had its issues, of course, but it gave us a chance to try things. And the footy show wouldn't have been given a chance anywhere else. So I think we, we learned, we grew with it. And I think the uh, I think the footy show would still work today. I really do. Hey, we, we tried it. We pitched it enough times at other places uh, to no avail. But uh, I, I enjoyed that. You know, it was, we appealed to the intelligent football fan out there. At the same time, we could be idiots. And that's the best you know way to describe it. You know, I, uh, I grew up watching you guys. Uh... Charmin, Saturday mornings, although half the time I sleep in because the matches would be at 6, 7, 8 a.m. in Edmonton. Try hosting live TV <laughs> at that time in the morning. Woo. Yeah, yeah, here in Edmonton. And uh, and Dunlop with uh, Sports on Central, when I'd be way past my bedtime, my mom would tell me to just go to bed. But um, but what, what was the favorite uh, moment for either of you? You know, just like, was there like a day that, you know, for example, I'm sure, I'm sure Charmin won, I don't know, Man City won the Premier League last minute. <laughs> Aguero, uh, sorry for you, Dunlop, say, um, obviously you're Portuguese and, and, and CR7, um, calling highlights of Portugal, um, you know, winning the Euros. Is there something like that that would really like marked you uh, out of everything? I didn't get to call, uh, do the highlights of them winning because I was at the game. So I actually didn't work that weekend. So I was, uh, I was removed from the media uh, side of that and just got. That was an example. It was an example. So, but that, that, I mean, that definitely stands out from, from working. I mean, Charms and I got to uh, go to that Real Madrid game when, when Ronaldo and Real Madrid came to play Gabe Gala and, uh, and Toronto FC. Oh my God. (laughs) I can't remember who else was on the field for Toronto at the time, but none of them are in football now. I I can confirm that. That was a, that was a a pretty big highlight. I think uh, working with Charms uh, at Sportsnet when we were doing Fox Soccer News, um, so I, I started there uh, as the lone anchor for about six months. And then uh, Charmin came uh, very much to, to my, my rescue in the moment. But it was great to have a, a teammate in a, in a totally different environment. You know, it, it's still we were still able to keep it very footy show and be ourselves. Uh, but we wore suits and we had graphics packages and highlights from countries that we never had access to before. So it was it was awesome to kind of see that evolution. So I think professionally, uh, I have a lot of good memories from from that Fox period there. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And like you said, a very different show to what we're used to. I mean, even wearing a suit and a desk, you know, it, it was just different, but uh, a great experience. And yeah, I mean, we, we had a good time hosting side by side. Um, all jokes aside, we did have a good time doing that. Um, and and then from aside from that, I mean, I've had the chance to interview some really, really you know, interesting people over the years. You know, some of my childhood heroes, Bruce Grobler, I got to interview and got to know a little bit as well. And he was my, you know, he was my comic book hero as a kid. I love the guy. You know, I would have been shaking in my boots had I met him when I was 10. And then to meet him when I was a broadcaster, you know, got to know him a little bit, you know, interview him a few times. That was just a, a real buzz. And even today when I think about, I've got to interview Bruce Grubble, that's pretty cool. You know, and, but it's, you, can, you can be a, a fan still, I think, even in the industry every yeah. now and again. you got to be a professional. But when you turn off the old professional or take the professional cap off, you could be a fan and, and you can enjoy it. Yeah, that's the key, 100%. Because I, I feel like, you know, we're not robots. You know, we, we can't just turn off the emotional and, and the nostalgic parts of our life. Like when you meet a player that you grew up watching and you have a chance to interview them, I mean, of, of course, a little bit of, I don't know if bias is the right word, but certainly you're, you're just going to kind of shut off all of your journalistic instincts as they were and just kind of let the conversation flow. Sometimes that's the best way to go, right? You know, it's a great point. I mean, B and I have always made it a priority to, to not hide the fact that we're fans of the game and we have our teams, right? As much as B's a Villa fan, you know, he's not going to talk about Villa any differently than any other team when he's got his professional cap on. Same with me in Liverpool. Um, I, I think you can balance it. I think, you know, that whole, 
belief that oh you can't let the fan the viewers know who you support like ah, come on they know that we're fans of sport they know that mm. they know who are we trying to kid here as long as you're you're objective then i think that's really important and it gives you more authenticity as well when you're talking about the, these various plot lines in, in the world of sport and, and i like that the industry you know evolved i think the footy show had a lot to do with that at least from the soccer perspective where it was you know we being honest that authenticity of we are fans and there, there are times when i'm harder on villa or harder on portugal um, but I, I like to think it, uh, and maybe it's been being half Portuguese in general that I'm I'm never more positive. It's only the the negative side where maybe my bias shows where I'm I'm a little harsh at times. But I I think that that you know that that makes uh, that resonates with the with the listener and and makes the broadcast better. That you can you can truly be more invested and show how how invested and authentic you are about it. That is true because I mean I've been hammered over the years by fans of other teams. You know the Italian fans hated me for a long time. Croatian fans hated me. Arsenal fans still hate me. I think, right? But I'm never harder than I am on England or I am on, on Liverpool. I mean England in particular. I've, I've had jokes and running jokes my whole career about being an England fan and, and making fun of that. So I think uh, I think most people appreciate it, and if if they can let go of their own biases, they might see that. When you look at this uh, remarkable year that it's been for Canadian soccer, what was the match that you said, okay, this team is legit? Like, when did you start to believe this this own hype? Was it at the start of the Ocho? Was it before? Uh, oh, well, for me, I mean, listen, we saw this team kind of grow. The first window was okay. It wasn't great. But for me, I think it was the, the, the Mexico game at the Azteca. It, it showed me a team because it is a courage they showed when they went into the Azteca. And they went on the front foot at Mexico. That that told me that this team hasn't got any fear. This team certainly has exercised any demons of previous generations, and that they are they are legitimately a good team. I wasn't sure at that point whether they win the game or whether they qualify for a World Cup, but they showed me they had that tenacity that had been lacking in the past, and they had a coach that wasn't afraid of going at. I'm going to be the region's best team at home. I mean, that, that was the one that told me, okay, yeah. yep, USA game was great, don't get me wrong, but now we were, it's the Aztec for Christ's sakes. The Aztec. <laughs> All right? And Canada's playing better for much of that game yeah. than their opponents. And they left pissed that they didn't come away with all three points. That's right. You know, where in the past, just having the opportunity to be on the pitch and not lose 3 0, or what did Forrest lose by 8 0? To not, not be on the <laughs> wrong end of that was a victory. And here they were, you know, victory within their reach, and they were upset they didn't get it. The Azteca was was definitely the turning point for me, and I think that just as a you know as a as a fan or having the the vested interest that we do and wanting to see this team push on and continue to grow. When they got to Edmonton and we realized how poor the weather was going to be, I was upset we weren't going to actually get to see a fair game and them go toe to toe and be able to play their game. I was I was really disappointed that the elements looked as though they were going to have play such a factor and take away from what. Could have been a great fight, or you know, a, a real, a real fist fight uh, out there on the pitch. And I still got a great game. And the fact that they they walked away with with six points from from that stretch, I think is uh, it's it's just incredible. I can't wait for this next next window. Actually, if the Voyagers are listening. You know, they should be getting a chant ready right now, saying, "We don't need the weather. We don't need <laughs> the weather." Because I'm with you. I was upset too. Like, yeah, this team could play against Mexico. In a perfect conditions, in a perfect stadium, they could. Isn't that they wild? That. Isn't that wild no. to think about in 2021? <laughs> like... That's what I mean. Yeah. It's what a year. What a year. Yeah. Oh, I'm with Charms. I can't wait to hear them sing it in minus 20 degrees in Hamilton, Ontario on January 30th. <laughs> all 3,000 of them. Yeah. Shirts off, just waving them in the air, just not caring whatsoever. Exactly. Guys, when we look at maybe the, the big picture in terms of what this run could do whether they qualify for the world cup or not. And I mean, I, I would imagine the former will happen, but um, with the last two qualifiers, either outdrawing or nearly matching two Maple Leafs games on the TV ratings with the Canada content actually going toe to toe with hockey content, sportsnet.ca. Do you think that this run will lead to any sort of shift in how the mainstream media covers the sport? I, obviously, I really hope so. We've been, you know, on, on the cusp before. I thought that, you know, we're at that tipping point and it hasn't happened. We still had to qualify for a World Cup, right? Yeah. If this team, for some reason, doesn't manage to qualify for a World Cup, you know, lose to New Zealand in a playoff, then this means nothing. I think it'd be back to square one. We'd be a laughing stock once again within the mainstream media. 
I say we, <laughs> should say <laughs> them, them. Um, but I think qualifying for a World Cup will change everything because moving forward, this isn't going to be a one-off World Cup for this team. It's going to be automatic qualification in 2026, obviously. And then beyond that, 4018 World Cups, more births in CONCACAF. Like, come on, guys. This team is going to be top five in CONCACAF, the worst, right? I would mm -hmm. think, moving forward. So it's going to be, uh, and maybe it's World Cups every two years by then, by the way, which is conversation for a different show perhaps at some point yeah but regardless it's going to be consistently this team this this program playing at world cups within that the, the mainstream sports audience will wake up in this country they'll take notice when you have alfonso davis becoming a global name arguably already the biggest canadian name in the world in the sporting realm right sorry hockey sorry connor you ain't nothing alfonso yeah. dwarfs you right now globally right now he dwarfs you and that's only going to get more when you see some other young players coming through, John David, he's going to be up there as well, you know, as a well-known figure in, in world sports. I, I think that's going to be the tipping point. Qualification at the same time, these players becoming household names. And yeah, this time it's for real. I really, really believe that now. But like I said, we're not quite there just yet. We had 40 minutes with uh, John Herbman before Edmonton, and he talked about in one of the, the ways of describing his decision-making between leaving the women's program and staying in Canada to take the men's job was that qualifying for the men's World Cup was the way he saw other nations push their entire programs forward. And he had the experience of being there in New Zealand when the, the men's team had qualified for the World Cup and how much that benefited and, mm -hmm. and pushed on the, the women's program. So that that became his his goal and his focus. And, uh, you know, he was very honest about it when he took the job right away. He said, we're going to, you know, 2026 is great, but we're, we're going to qualify for 2022. And as Charmin said, you know, we all laughed at the time and thought, oh, it's nice and cute that he's got this confidence in that. And like, look, look where we are. They've, they've, he's been able to execute on, on, on that plan to get them within, within reach of it. And uh, I do think that you're going to see a corporate influx of, of money. And, you know, it's the, it's the TV ratings and that corporate dollars that will continue to push it forward and make it more accessible. So that's what I'm excited about. You know, I, I look at the U.S. and not qualifying for the World Cup in 2018. I was really upset by that as a soccer fan in this country and someone who works in soccer in the media because the U.S. qualifying for the World Cup pushes the sport on both sides because television executives and corporations see the value in it and invest in it. So you've missed that whole window that really does, I think, have a trickle effect up here and how the big box executives and those deciding how much more money to spend on rights, how they look at things. You can't ignore World Cup. It is the biggest event. It is bigger than the Olympics. And being there, everyone's going to want a piece of that pie. And I think the hangover from that will last long, uh, well into the buildup of 2026 here on home soil. It's a very interesting discussion and um, one that, you know, kind of depends, you know, uh, per cycle. I mean, you guys lived it. Uh, but James, you bring up a very interesting point, and it's about Jonathan David. English football is, is, is your guys' cup of tea. Uh, he's been linked with, uh, holy crap, <laughs> how many teams in the Premier League? Um, where, where do both of you see uh, Jonathan David landing um, either in uh, January or uh, if not in June? Well, I mean, I think England makes so much sense for him. Also, the way he plays, I think it, it fit well. In England, the question is what team? What's the next step? You know, we're seeing a player who's very strategic in his moves, where, you know, which club to go and when to go. So, you know, there's been talk about Liverpool being, you know, sniffing around. Well, obviously on paper, that's sexy as hell. Oh, man, that's great. But how much would he actually play there? Is he better off going somewhere a little bit smaller right now um, to get that playing time, playing week in and week out? And then if he's good enough, he'll get that that move in another couple of years' time. So, you know, that's what I see happening with John David. Um, and, and I think, you know, hey, listen, watch out for Newcastle. You know, for example, a lot of money right now. And, you know, you can laugh at Newcastle at the moment, but he would play a lot of football there at the moment. So, you know, that's one rumor, you know, West Ham's mentioned right now. But again, would he play that much at the moment? Maybe a top four, top five team might be a bit soon for him. Um, but hey, listen, he's proven everyone wrong wherever he's gone, right? So, so who's to say he can't succeed at a bigger club? But I would love to see him in England, selfish standpoint, because that's the league that I watch the most of. Mm -hmm. But I also think as far as, you know, building his brand, um, it's still the biggest league in Canada. Let's be honest. Um, I think it would be a fantastic fit wherever he ends up. Yeah, absolutely. And the more I see this edit of him in an Arsenal shirt floating around Instagram, the more I think that that would be a great situation. And with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the way out and Alex Lacazette having uh, plenty of doubters, um, de depending on what, what time of uh, season it is, I guess, for Arsenal, I think uh, he could walk into 
a team there that's uh, maybe a little smaller than Liverpool, where he wouldn't be the uh, the new Divock. Tell Arigi. Arsenal fans that you see, then they, they'll be upset by that. Yeah, but you're on the show, like you're on the title here, so they'll just be like, "That's Charmin." Like I've yeah, just exactly. dragged you into it. So really, this is just added to the lore of how much Charmin hates Arsenal because he was on the show with us when I said Arsenal was smaller than Liverpool. I think Arsenal would be a good fit. You know, I think that'd be that's a big jump. That's a real jump. They're a top four side, obviously Champions League expectations. And I think he could step into that team the way they're currently constructed, unlike Newcastle, who's looking to reconstruct, or West Ham, who's looking to, you know, continue to evolve to get to that next level. I think walking into Arsenal would be a great setup for him. I think that might be a bit big right now. I mean, again, I hope I'm proven wrong. It would be yeah. a, a great fit, you know, if it goes right, but I just, you know, Martinelli's looking like a guy who's going to be there for some time. Yeah. He's superb at the moment, right? Yeah. But uh, hey, listen, why not? Prove me wrong, John, please. I'd yeah. be quite happy to prove him wrong. Do you also have like a Josie Altador fear as well? Like, there's, <laughs> I, I, I say that isn't because, no, there's there a couple of cases. And I remember uh, on one of our preseason footy shows, uh, I said Josie Altador was going to be the biggest surprise in the Premier League that first season he went to Hall. I really thought that having the experience that he had in, in MLS and uh, a couple of seasons at Villarreal at the time where he'd done quite well in the yeah. Liga. I thought, this is it. He's going to explode. And he was awful. And he went to Holland and he scored a boatload of goals and he rebuilt uh, his image. And then he got another shot in the Premier League and he was awful again. So is there a bit of like, oh God, I don't want that to happen to one of our guys, Charms. Is there a bit of that? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously I don't want that to happen. I don't think it would happen with, with John David though. I think he's better than Jose, to be honest with you. I think he's got more potential. I mean, Jose kind of, there's a hype train around Jose because he's American and he obviously started so young and so well in MLS. But John's done it the, the right way. He's kind of gone there quite early, I think, and established a reputation for himself at these these lower clubs. With respect to Lille, I mean, listen, Lille's a, a good football club, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, albeit with some financial issues right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, his 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 journey has been a little bit more traditional, I think, than than Josie's. Now we got U.S. fans coming at us, along with the Arsenal fans. If they're both <laughs> Arsenal and American, my God, there's going to be a lot of backlash. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Stan Kroenke isn't happy with me right now. Yeah, definitely not. Well, guys, closing it out with this, we'd be remiss not to ask about the women because it was also a banner year for them. Now, we saw what the gold medal run did for the women's program in the mainstream while it was happening and in the immediate aftermath. But since then... Maybe not a lot of movement. We've seen a few players go abroad, and that's amazing. Deanne Rose, for example, is killing it at Reading, which is great to see. Julia Grosso just went to Juventus, which is a big move for her. Um, But in Canada, the WPSL has announced a Canadian league, but it's semi-professional, and I think it's just a summer league. So what do you think can be done to help grow the women's game as much as the men's game might grow over the next couple years? I think that this country can support a professional women's league, a, a real professional women's league. Um, you know, not to take away from what the WSL is trying to do, but I'm a little bit surprised that there hasn't been enough, you know, corporate investment yet to to really kick on and try some type of CPL comparable for for the women's. I, I know that that was, you know, something that a lot of those people involved in the beginning of the Canadian Premier League um, were were thinking about uh, how to do this as a joint. Um, league with with the with a full fully professional women's program as well, and uh, I think winning the gold medal has shown the interest that there is in women's sport, and certainly the talent that there is in this country that deserves to have an opportunity to develop at home in a professional environment. So I really hope that you know before 2026 we're talking about a, a CPL level equivalent of a professional women's league in this country that uh, honestly is, is is better than where the CPL is right now because I, I think it I think it should be I think it can be the infrastructure. Um, just needs to be built quickly, but I think it's, it can sustain it. It can be there. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's too soon again. I mean, I'm not sure that we can sustain a men's professional league just yet. We don't know. That's true. Right? The yeah. CPL is so young, and it's happened at just the wrong time. I feel so, so bad for the CPL, given that they launch and all this crap happens around, you know, with the pandemic. Yeah. Really difficult. Um as, as such, you know, I mean, like, listen, I, I think we can sustain the men's professional league, but time will tell. It's not proven just yet. So let's not go too soon with the women's just yet, mm-hmm. because that's still, you, you need very patient owners who are prepared to lose money in the early years. Simple as that, right? Um, so I, I think it's going to be very much a growth. And like I mentioned before, B, you said how, you know, what John told us, John Herbman, that you need to have a successful men's program to finance the, the game in this country. 
And as such, the women's will then benefit. It's coming along. I'm watching Sky Sports, right? And they cover the Women's Champions League like it's the Champions League, yeah. right? They do it the right way. The draw was yesterday. It could have been the Men's League. The uh, zone are showing European Championship games now. The women's is being delivered the same way the men's game is. So we're seeing this growth over there at the moment, right? We're, we're not there yet. Right. right. We're still years behind the development of European football as a whole. So I think we still have to be patient with the women's game. It's going to happen at some point. Of course it is, 100%. But let's not rush it, is my point. Because you don't want to rush it and then it fail. And then it gets this stigma attached to it. Which is why the CPL took so long to come to fruition. They wanted to do it right. Obviously, the timing, no one could have predicted what would happen after. But they took their time. They were patient. They found the right owners. They established the league. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect right away. Um, but the goal is is that in a few years' time, it's established and it just keeps going from there. That's what you want from the women, ultimately, as well. And, and it'll come, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, and... Uh, I mean, let's hopefully do this again. It was a pleasure to catch up. Yeah, thanks, fellas. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. Happy to join you. And it's, as much as it was a great 2021, I think in 2022 we'll be celebrating a, a Canadian World Cup birth and, and some matches. So think about that. I would like that. I would like that. And it's funny because uh, hearing you talk about the, your last answer there, Charms, maybe, you know, all of a sudden I'm the optimistic one here. I guess <laughs> it just depends on the time of recording. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tea in this yeah. mug instead of the usual beer that we have in Wonger's tent. <laughs> that's that's the reason. Prime. But thanks for having us, guys, and uh, all the best. Uh, you know, congrats on, on your success with this podcast, and I'm ha- happy to have more Canadian podcasts out there in the space, man. A really fun chat with Dunlop and Charmin. We thank them again for joining us for this holiday special. We'll be doing more roundtables with other top soccer journalists and media members in 2022. So stay tuned for all of those because we really did enjoy doing that, Thomas. Yeah, we really do. And and honestly, it's nice to get someone else's perspective and, and really connect with other uh, top journalists. Um, we have a we have a specific list, Peter, that we wanna we wanna get done. Apologies though to those of you who didn't get their questions asked because uh, well we were just too busy reminiscing and kind of talking about what the Canadian soccer landscape looks like, even the media landscape, and just, just seeing how the guys are doing in general, because those are two two personalities who pave the way for Canadian soccer journalism and Canadian soccer in general, really. So, uh, uh, Stefan Jordan asking an interesting question here, Thomas. Instead of charging nearly $250 plus per jersey, will Nike and Canada Soccer ensure that more jerseys will be more easily accessible? merchandise sales can be a huge factor on budget for them uh what do you think about this yeah it's 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 a big problem uh supply and demand my friend a lot of people want to buy jerseys but they're not available and what really stands out to me is if you look at the jerseys last time i checked if you look at the jerseys for example alfonso davies home red jersey yeah for example the only size available is small that is a very small portion of fans or small right you're pretty much thinking of what your children right if the demand is there and the jerseys are selling out and and what what it does seem like that's the case right they're they're selling out and they're doing incredibly well why not stock up like what's the issue i completely understand we're in a pandemic still and we will be for the whole time i don't know what people say when the pandemic ends but there's a lot of back orders and and delays and whatnot but they could be more proactive in this sense because at the end of the day what you want to do as a soccer country and a soccer nation, is for the 20,000 fans attending uh, Tim Horn Field, hopefully for that January 30th, that at least half of them or a third of them are wearing Jonathan David or Alfonso Davies red, red jerseys, uh, you would hope at least. Thomas, how long did it take for them to even start making named jerseys available? I'm talking printed with the name and the number on the back. They announced that Fanatics partnership a a year and a half ago, something like that. They've been dropping the ball on this for so many years, so it's not surprising that they're still doing it, especially charging the prices they're charging. Mark Carvalho here asking a question. uh, In the 16 and under range, is there a Canadian phenom that we are going to be hearing a lot about the next couple of years? I'm asking this question because I honestly never heard of Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy before this week. Really, none come to mind, but here's the thing with guys like Marshall Ruddy. 
when they get compared to Alfonso Davies and all this and they don't play, it does not help them whatsoever. And this is why you're now seeing him go through Europe because he needs a chance to play. Now, is it going to happen at an Arsenal or a Liverpool or a Dortmund, what have you? Sure, maybe not right away or maybe ever in some of those teams' cases. But it kind of says a lot that one of your top, supposed top, academy players leaves the club in search of first-team opportunities. That that really shouldn't be how it works. You know, it's really, really funny because I actually had a conversation um, at the bar with one of my good friends who actually happens to work in soccer, a very prominent person. And half of the conversation was... was, was uh, Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy, is he valued? Should he be sold? Will he ever be better than a CPL player? And it was uh, it was a very heated conversation. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, him uh, as a player, like I completely agree, that's the number one factor is the playing time. And, and, and really specifically speaking, like, you know, maybe he's not really in the matches that he's played because he hasn't played too much, right? Uh, I think, what, 400 minutes this year and whatnot. So in the matches that he had, he has, for me at least, hasn't shown, you know, something outstanding out of this world, you know, to kind of say, okay, wow, you know, this guy's going to be something special. But because it's MLS, because he's a first-team player and because of his age, he is valued at what he's valued. Um, and, and and to answer the question, really, from Mark, I mean, 16 and under is a very uh, small, uh, very narrow margin. Like, you're pretty much asking uh, 2005 and, and and up really and and that is i think age 16 is i wouldn't really say it's, it's an age where people really start to stand out and maybe 17 18 because there aren't that many professional academies heck there aren't any uh, other academies other than the three mls clubs just because fc edmonton had one and then they got rid of it and we know that the cpl uh is not in favor of academies which i completely disagree so again the other club academies from the grassroots it's very hard to scout just because um, there aren't that many scouts, but what I do know, and, and I've actually watched some games uh, from under 16 OPDL, is that there's some really good players. Um, and I think that it's helping that now this technology can kind of unearth some of those. Yes, 100%. And there always are talented players. It's just a matter of do they get the platform? But put it this way, if there really was a player worth talking about in that age range, we would probably know about him already. Similar question here about Marshall Ruddy. Uh, Shane Wagonar asking, would it be better for Marshall Ruddy's development to be playing academy soccer somewhere like Liverpool next year or to spend another year getting minutes against experienced pros in MLS? Uh, what do you think is the, the pathway here for him? So I'm going to switch the question a bit uh, because this isn't just about uh, him specifically, but about every other player. Um, just because you're going to Europe, it does not mean that it's better than your current situation. For example, Antoine Coupland, he's a first-team CPL player. If he goes to Braga, he went from professional to youth, and he could probably get released from the youth academy in one or two years, and then that's it. His European career is over, or he trials here and there, and then ends up in Finland's second division. I'm just giving you an example. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm just giving you an example. So, so I just think that just because you have interest from Europe does not mean every single time it's the right path. If it's a step up, 100%. If it's first-team football. But if it's just a youth academy, it's never – and you're already a professional. I mean, unless it's a big club like Liverpool, then I think there's more guarantee that at least they'll keep you around for, for some time. And Liverpool themselves can find other clubs for you to uh, loan. Yeah, agreed. But – at the end of the day, every player is different, and sometimes you, you bet on yourself and it pays off, right? But generally speaking, yes, you should be somewhat wary of leaving a professional opportunity where you can still grow as a player, and, and you know, especially playing against grown men every week and being in that environment, to then going into a youth setting. It, it can be quite risky, for sure. A couple of programming notes here. We do have plans to speak with newly appointed York United coach Martin Nash and Canadian eligible center back Sandra Solholm in the new year. We teased the potential Solholm interview on the last episode. Just wanted to reiterate that, that we're still trying to work out a date. And finally, Thomas, um, both of us do want to close out 2021 by, you know, saying some words about the podcast, its growth, and how thankful we are for 
all of you, the listeners, for making this all possible. I'm going to let you go first. Are, are there any final words that, that you want to say? There are, and uh, I have nothing planned. It's all going to come out from the heart. When Peter and I thought of starting this, and we talked on the phone for a good half an hour, um, we pictured something like this. We knew that it was a big year uh, for the Canadian men's national team, starting in March, first competitive match, first match any anyhow, in, in 16 months. And we know that it was very important, Gold Cup, the Ocho. And growing up, um, I can tell you that growing up, I, I was wanted to be in radio. And because of the digital scene that has changed over the years, this is radio. This is online radio. And and I feel like uh, a lot of my personal dreams have, have come true. And, and I'm very extremely lucky, I should say, to have found a colleague and a co-host such as Peter, um, who is a great friend, uh, always a pleasure to work with. And, and really, it's tough to find that sort of niche where you get yourself on only a work professional level, but also on a personal level. And and not only that, but other journalists that were available that weren't already in a podcast at that time. Um, and, and really, like, it takes a lot of work uh, to do a one-hour show, uh, from the prep of our own notes, from running the, the um, from doing the rundown uh, throughout the week. Peter doing the editing, um, you know, just doing all of our research, getting interview guest. Um, it's it's not easy at all, and, and you guys make it worth it because I remember one episode I, I missed um, uh, due to some personal issues. Uh, personal matters, I should say, and and AGR had to Alex Gondry Rusic had to step in, and like four or five of you messaged me saying you miss me and whatnot, and and at the end of the day, that's what counts for me. It's it's not just um, you do your job, and and that's it. Sometimes it's it's the human, it's the personal aspect, and and connecting with you guys as well. I've I've had the chance to meet uh, four or five of you in person when York was playing in specific at BMO, when I was working the, the Panama match as well, um, doing the live hit for, for the TV there. I met some of you guys as well. And, and really it's, it's incredible to be not only humble, humble experience to be recognized in person, but <laughs> we know that Canadian soccer circle is very small. So I just want to say thank you to every single one of you that has listened to one episode that have listened to 10, 12 episodes that have listened to every episode. And you guys are what make this show special. If it wasn't for you guys, this show would not happen. So I just want to thank every single one of you. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a great year. And 2022 will be the year for Canadian soccer, where Peter and I will hopefully be in Qatar uh, for our first World Cup covering it as journalists. Thomas, I'm sure you felt the same way, because we're all human. There have been times during quite a few Canada windows where I've been busy covering it for Sportsnet, for MLS, and, you know, I've, I've had to stay up late to do certain articles and to do some edits and all that stuff. And then the very next morning, running on probably four or five hours of sleep at most, just because of the adrenaline that's kicking in and, and the knowledge that I have to then wake up, do a rundown, you know, set up the recording for you and I, and then do the recording and obviously get all, the, all, all our notes prepared... It, it, it does drain you sometimes, and a lot of coffee is necessary to keep myself alert, but just the knowledge that so many people want to hear the show and hear what we have to say makes it all worth it. And I honestly would not trade that for the world, because being that busy is something I do thrive on. It is worth it at the end of the day, so thank you everybody for doing that. The reason I wanted to start the show is because... Even though there are a lot of club-specific podcasts out there, and all of them do a really, really good job... There was never just a show that specialized on just a general look on Canadian soccer, including the national team and keeping track of Canadians abroad. And, and a lot of you do monitor these guys. But at the end of the day, you all have lives to live. You have families, you have jobs, you have friends you want to hang out with. Obviously, you cannot be expected to watch these guys, every single one of them, every single week. As someone who gets paid to do this for a living... I feel like I can kind of fill in the gaps. And this is why I personally wanted to start the show. And I feel like, you know, with Thomas's inside information and then my more analytical mind, we make a good team in that regard. And, and again, to follow up on your, on your point, Peter, um, there are a lot of shows, you know, to name some of them, Campio.ca Newsroom, Waking the Red, AFTN, uh, and so forth, right? 
and, and I'm sure there is a lot of crossover where some of you listen to us and then you listen to them. But the fact that every single one of you who are regulars, uh, and we're very transparent with our audience, 800 to 1,000 of you every week listen, decide to spend one hour of your early commute. Uh, I don't know whether you're doing the dishes, cooking, uh, heading home, uh, walking, whatever it may be. You choose to spend that hour with us, and it's always a, what, well, it may just be Peter and I recording. It feels like you guys, you know, are super involved. And, and again, because you choose to spend that hour with us and you choose to come to this show specifically, this is why, like, I feel that Northern Football has, has become a brand. And I didn't really feel that until maybe when the Ocho started, because for me, the breaking point was when we, obviously Peter went away and, and, and we didn't, we kind of stopped for three weeks. The, the support we got back when we, when we came back, like almost a month later was incredible. And uh, that was really when I, when my eyes opened up and thought, okay, people love what we do and they're craving our content more and more and to finish off on this we are still working very hard um on growing the platform and the podcast and we have some specific things planned i'm not going to leak uh, one of them because it's so important but one of the things we want to do is, is a meet and greet uh with some of you uh potentially in the new year sort of like a an in-person event obviously covid and whatnot but i think uh, it's important you know to to continue that uh engagement it is, and that's why we tailor the show to what you guys want, because that's what podcasting is about, and that's what makes it so great, is that it's custom and tailored to your needs and wants. Um, and we're going to try to make more of an effort to do that, to do more of it again in the new year. I know we've been kind of lacking a bit with the Canadians abroad mailbags and all that, but it's just so much has happened. Uh, mark my words, though, it will be pretty much fixated and or tailored to what you guys want to hear and know about. Uh, so thank you once again for listening to us. Here's to the best in 2022. Happy new year, everybody for Thomas Neff. I'm Peter Galindo. We will chat to you in the new year. <laughs>